Well, please turn with me now in your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read it briefly from Ezekiel 34 as we prepare for the sermon, which will be from Acts chapter 20. The sermon this morning is from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. But first, I'm going to read from Ezekiel 34, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Ezekiel 34, begin reading in verse 11, and then I will read down through verse 24. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 11, down through verse 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples, and gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in the good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold, and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel." I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up what the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. As for you, mow my flock, says the Lord God. Behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture and to have drunk all of the clear waters that you must foul the residue with the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what they have trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep. Because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Amen. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet through the Spirit receives a word from the Lord that he should condemn the shepherds of Israel. That he should warn them that God will no longer tolerate their predatory practices and that he will indeed replace them. But what is so striking and powerful about Ezekiel's prophecy in this chapter is the fact that he himself, the Lord God Almighty, he will replace those shepherds. He will come and be the shepherd of his sheep. He himself will make them lie down in green pastures. He himself will come and lead them beside still waters. He will be the shepherd. He will establish his son, David, his servant, David, as prince. In this way, Ezekiel prophesies the coming of Christ, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. 
with this in mind, that Jesus alone is the shepherd of God most high, the son of David and yet David's Lord. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We're going to read this morning from Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. And I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter in verse 38. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, and down through the end of the chapter in verse 38. Paul has come to the end of his missionary journey, his third one, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, but he has a day, a couple of days in Miletus, and so he calls for a quick meeting of the elders. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, here again the word of the Lord. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me, by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go, bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that These hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, 
that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen and amen. On August the 7th, 2009, a little half past seven, I knelt down by the western wall of the music room in the Oklahoma Bible Academy in Enid, Oklahoma. The elders of the Midwest Presbytery put their big, beefy hands on my head, on my shoulders, and on my back. And I could feel the weight of their collective presence pressing me down. And they prayed. And they ordained me to the office of elder. When it was done, I stood up, and there were hugs, handshakes, and smiles. Then everyone went back to their seats, except for one. An old cowboy of western Kansas, a longtime army chaplain, a pastor in the Reformed Presbyterian Church, Stan Copeland. He stood in the pulpit to give the charge to the pastor, and he gave me my first charge to the pastor. From Acts chapter 20, verse 28, take heed to yourself and to all the flock. In just over 800 words, I promise you I will use at least one full decimal place more than that this morning. In just over 800 words, he gave me seven brief but brilliant points on how to nourish my own soul with Christ, that I might nourish the souls of the saints entrusted to me. And my friends, 12 years have passed. A lot of changes have come and gone. And yet, here I stand this morning with this same text before us, realizing that after 12 years and all that has come and gone, so much sin, so much sorrow... So much grace and goodness. The point is still the same. I have his manuscript upstairs if you want to see it. I stole it out of his Bible as he was leaving. With his permission. My friends, here is the truth of God for us. Jesus loves you. Jesus gave you elders because he loves you. You are his blood-bought church. And so he will never leave you nor forsake you. Indeed, he has given you elders because he loves you. Receive our care. Receive our care. This sermon is really three different efforts that I am attempting to weave together and still get you home in time for lunch. The first is my personal manifesto of pastoral ministry. The second is a charge to my fellow elders and me. The third is an invitation to you, the congregation, to understand what is burning in the hearts of your elders. With that in mind, notice that in verse 17, the Apostle Paul summons the elders of Ephesus to Miletus. It's a journey of some 30 miles. It would have taken two or three days. This is not a spur-of-the-moment trip. This is something that would have required planning and preparation. I know there are some among you who think, ah, I would travel two or three days on a spur of a moment. I know some of you have. 
But at this time, it was a little riskier, a little more difficult. This was a planned meeting, a meeting of some importance and significance. The elders of the church, in verse 17, likely refers to the elders of all the many house churches in Ephesus, meaning that this is closer to a presbytery meeting than to a session meeting. There are all the elders of Ephesus there. As he summons them together, he has an important purpose for this meeting. Paul knows he is in the final few meters of this missionary journey, and he is eager to pass the baton. He knows that he is departing from the ministry in Ephesus after three years, and he wants the elders to take his place in this missionary enterprise. Paul understands that Jesus does not leave his church unattended. Jesus loves his church, and he will not abandon her as orphans in the world. And though the office of apostle has come to an end, and we do not look for them any longer, they were the writers of Scripture and the workers of miracles that confirmed those Scriptures. And it has all closed with the canon. But not so the care of the church. That apostolic mission remains. And it passes in this chapter from from apostle to elder. So brothers, let us know. We are charged with the care of this congregation. And dear beloved saints, you are charged to receive our care. Now, to paint the picture for what the relationship between elder and member is, the Apostle Paul points them to four different seasons of life. He will first review his time in Ephesus. He will then preview his time in Jerusalem. Thirdly, he will preview their return to Ephesus and what they may expect in the near future. Fourth and finally, He will show them the reward they can expect for their service. First, notice in verses 18 through 21 that they are shown what he has done among them. He says in verse 18, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. First, he lived among them with all humility, with many tears and trials. In this contrast, the all and the many, all humility, many tears and trials, Paul speaks of the internal condition with which he labored. With great effort, he humbled himself, devoting himself to the work. Likewise, he suffered great tears and trials. He spared no expense. There was intense effort and exertion in his labors. Secondly, he says to them that he proclaimed publicly the teaching. By this, he probably means that hall of Tyrannus, where he for two years taught, according to Luke in the previous chapter, all Asia. This public proclamation to which Paul refers here in verse 20 is probably that evangelism that he did in the hall of Tyrannus. By contrast, the teaching that he does privately from house to house, likely refers to the house churches 
that were in Ephesus. In a word, Paul says that with all humility and with many tears and trials, he devoted himself to publicly announcing Christ to the entire world and to privately impressing the claims of Christ on the churches themselves, leading in worship and in evangelism. In fact, he says in verse 20 that he held nothing back. With all humility, with many tears and trials, he held nothing back that they might know Christ, that they might have this testimony to Christ. In fact, in verse 21, Paul gives us the tip of the spear. He points us to the thing for which he is exerting himself, that he was testifying to both Jews and Greeks, repentance and faith. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. This was his aim, that they would repent and believe. The very first apostolic command we see Peter give at Pentecost. Repent and believe. It remains the beating heart of ministry in the church. Why occupy a pulpit that I might say to you, repent and believe? Why gather together that the elders might say, repent and believe? This must be, brothers, our focus. We aim for the saints to repent and believe. This is for which we strain and exert ourselves. On Monday and Friday morning of every week, my boys drag me out into the cold and into the rain and into the sun to run around the streets of Cambridge. And in keeping with our tradition, when we hit Broadway, we turn up Antrim Street. Facing the oncoming traffic, we run past the school a little faster. We come up to the house of Jack Martin and we run a little faster. We come up to the house of Jack Walsh and we run a little faster. Till at last we come to the driveway of the parsonage. Our our feet pounding as hard as they can go. Our heart racing. Our lungs heaving. All of our effort. All of our muscles. Straining for speed. My friends, this is what it is to be an elder. To be summoned to the full exertion to call others to repentance and faith. Publicly, privately, with humility, with tears, with trials, the elders are given to you by Christ that they would spare no exertion in calling you to repent and believe. Brothers, if there is anything we do that is not focused on calling people to repent and believe, let us leave it off. The focus of our office is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Dear saints, are you repenting? Do you believe? Do you receive this ministry that Christ has given to you? That out of love, He's given you elders who would cause you to repent and believe? Paul knows, though, that such repentance and faith comes not by the wisdom of elders nor their work, but by the gospel and the power of the kingdom. 
So then he previews his coming experience in Jerusalem. Beginning in verse 22, he reports that he is departing from Ephesus for Jerusalem because he is bound in the Spirit. That is, he is persuaded that the Holy Spirit would have him go to Jerusalem so that he might go to Rome, so that he might go to Spain. Paul is an evangelist, longing for new fields and untouched places, but he doesn't know if he'll get there. In verse 22, he admits he doesn't know if his plan will come to fruition. Instead, all he knows for certain in verse 23 is that the road will include slavery and chains. I know not, he says, if I will get to Rome or to Spain. All I know is that in Jerusalem I will be chained and I will face tribulation. But he also knows, according to verse 24, that the slavery and chains are worth bearing. None of them move him. None of them make him wish to stay in Ephesus. None of them hold him fast to his present place. No, rather, as he says in verse 24, he has set in the one hand his life. And he has felt the weight and the significance of that existence. And yet he has set in the other hand his ministry in Christ. His responsibility to preach Jesus. And he has found his ministry weighs more. He has found that his call to preach Christ is of greater significance and value to him than even his own life. He would rather die than give up preaching. He would rather run to the end preaching Christ than sit in silence and let the years pass by. No, he knows this is a mission he received from Christ himself, that Jesus summoned him to this office, that he should testify to the gospel of grace, that he should speak the good news of Jesus, and in verse 25, that he should preach the kingdom of God. What slave ever cheerfully volunteered to be shackled and chained to the oar of a ship to endlessly row against wind and tide? Who ever embraced such a miserable existence with such joy? The Apostle Paul. Because he counted Christ worth it. This is the baton he passes to the elders. Brothers, do we love to preach the gospel? Do we love the good news of Jesus Christ? Do we love the kingdom of Christ and the power of Christ that we should devote ourselves as slaves to this love? This is the summons the apostle gives to the elders. You have been set apart to this office that with pain, you should present to them their need of repentance and faith. And that with every effort you should call to them, come to Christ. And that here you should announce to him them the worthiness of the gospel, the goodness of the kingdom of God. That your life should be surrendered to the work of talking about Jesus. This is what it is to be an elder. To say death is welcome. Silence is not. I would rather speak the word of Christ and the kingdom of Christ 
and sit in silence. This is what we are called to. This is what we do. And my friends, do you know the gospel? Do you know the power of God in Christ in the kingdom? Do you receive from us this ministry? Do you receive from us this good news and this power of the kingdom? This is indeed what your elders are here to do, to give you the gospel, to give you the kingdom of God. Paul then turns to their experience and previews for them what they may expect when they return to Ephesus. He says to them that they will return and find two dangers, savage wolves and men speaking perverse things. He tells them that there is an answer to this problem, that they take heed to themselves and to their flock. But even before that, in verse 27, he warns them that they must be those who give the whole counsel of God. This much misunderstood phrase does not point us to every detail of doctrine. It does not mean that I exhaust your mental capacities, straining you through every detail of our doctrine. But rather, the whole counsel of God means in context, the call to repentance and faith, the announcement of the gospel in the kingdom. Because my friends, if there is a doctrinal detail that doesn't point to Jesus, we got it wrong. He is the whole counsel of God. Every story, every song, every prophecy, every poem, every epistle was subscribed by men under the power of the Holy Spirit to point you to Christ Jesus and to have you know Christ. He is the whole counsel of God. And we as elders are summoned to stand in the church and serve to them the whole counsel. That is Jesus. A call out of sin into faith in Christ. An announcement of His gospel and his kingdom. In so doing, we are equipping ourselves and the flock to bear the troubles that are coming. First, notice in verse 28 that we must take heed to ourselves first, brothers. We cannot bring people to repentance if we do not repent. Let me be a little more forceful. We cannot possibly disciple these saints in repentance if we are not the chief of repenters. When we sit in session meetings and we feel like we are repenting far more than our people are, we're doing it right. We are to exceed the saints in repentance, modeling for them the life of sorrow for sin and faith in Jesus Christ. We must apply these truths to ourselves first, for it is also true of the gospel and the kingdom. We cannot possibly share with these saints the good news if we don't know it ourselves. And if we are not daily working it into our hearts and our minds, we must take heed to ourselves that we as elders should be full of the gospel so that when these people come and prick us with their sins and sorrows, we bleed grace. We must be full of the kingdom, knowing the very power of God, 
So that when we are overwhelmed by the weight of this work, we know the power of the King and have hope in it. We take heed to ourselves first. Knowing this summons, this call, having heed it, heard it, followed it. But then secondly, we watch the flock. Verse 28 is this poignant moment in which Paul employs a metaphor that is so incredibly unfamiliar to us. How many of you have ever touched a sheep? We just don't know sheep. That makes this a hard metaphor to understand. What does it mean that Paul commands us, shepherd the flock? First, it means equip them to deal with savage wolves. Sheep must deal with wolves. Wolves love to eat sheep. Do you know why wolves love to eat sheep? Because sheep are dumb and defenseless. I'm sorry, saints. Jesus picked the metaphor, not me. Sheep have no natural defenses. They're not smart. They're not fast. They're not strong. They're easy prey. I'm sorry, guys. Jesus picked the metaphor. We are easy prey. We're not smart. We're not fast. We're not strong. And the wolves come among us to eat us and devour us. To indeed engorge themselves on the wealth and well-being of the church. And my friends, these wolves are not just the monsters in slick suits on the TV. They dwell in our churches too. They are not just those after your wallet. They are also those who darken these doors seeking to drink up the well-being of this church for their own welfare. There are, my friends, those of us, I sadly say, who come here like we go to Walmart looking for what we can consume. What am I getting out of this church? What benefit are these people to me? Watch out, my friends. We have just become wolves. When we enter this fellowship wondering what benefit is in it for us, we become wolves and not servants. Focused constantly on what I can get, how I can benefit, that's what the wolf does. Who can I eat? Who can I consume? Paul warns us, do not bite lest you devour one another. But secondly, he warns us against those, verse 30, who will rise up from among the elders themselves. Men who will speak perverse things to draw away the disciples. Do you remember what a disciple is? One who follows Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples in the shores of Galilee? Follow me. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Take up your cross and follow me. Oh, elders, we want to have followers of us. We love the applause, we love the gratitude. We love being front and center and oh, how the ego and the pride works within us. And Paul says, watch out. Watch out that you faithfully call others to repent and believe. 
that you faithfully announce the kingdom and the gospel and that you yourself do not become the center of attention. That you do not twist the truth, causing others to follow you instead of Christ. We are but signposts. We are but servants of the true shepherd. We are but shadows of the true king. That our people should leave our sermons not saying what a great preacher, but what a great Christ. The people should leave our counsel, our encouragement, and not say what a wise, loving elder, but what a wise, loving Christ. Let us beware that we do not become twisted teachers, seeking to make others disciples of us instead of disciples of Jesus. Paul concludes in verse 31, watch. Watch and remember to warn. These are the two weapons that he's given us as shepherds. That we deal with savage wolves and twisted teachers by watching out for them and warning everyone constantly about them. Does that seem dreadfully insufficient? I mean, I want to be a shepherd like David with a sling in one hand and the mane of a lion in the other beating him in the face with a rock. That's what David did when he was a shepherd. He grabbed the bear by the beard and punched it in the face until it died. That's the kind of shepherd I'd like to be, right? Big and tough. Oh, praise God, we have a shepherd just like that because David is not a type and shadow of you or me. He's a type and shadow of Christ. We have a good shepherd, a king, in whom there is triumph and victory, safety and defense. Brothers, Paul does not call us to fight wolves, but to warn. To say to the sheep, run to Christ. To say to the sheep, leave the danger and go to Christ. We are called to an office of warning, to an office of word and of speaking. That we should call others out of sin and out of danger and into the arms of Christ. Elders need not fight. They need warn and send their sheep to Jesus. Do you see the picture? Paul is passing the baton. Oh, dear elders, I used every effort to call you to repentance and faith. Do likewise. Oh, dear elders, I have surrendered everything to announce to you the gospel and the kingdom. Go and do likewise. Oh, dear elders, you must be ready, constantly vigilant, watching and warning and sending your sheep straight to the arms of Jesus. Go and do likewise. Brothers, what are we doing with our time? How do we fill our agenda? Are we doing what we ought? To shepherd this flock. To send these saints into the presence of Christ. Out of their sins. Into the good news and the kingdom of God. Dear saints, are you receiving our care? Are you, according to the command of 1 Peter 5, humbling yourself? And hearing our call to repent and believe. And hearing our announcement there is grace in Christ. Power in Christ. 
Are you fleeing from the wolves and the twisted teachers of this world? Are you running after Christ as a faithful follower, as we desire you to do? Then Paul turns, fourthly and finally, and charges them with the hope of their reward. Here's what's in it for you. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Brothers, we get the work. That's the reward. The work. It is the word of God that does the work, not us. Notice that the elders do not build the church. It is the word of God and his grace that builds the church. What is it that moves a sinner out of, in, out of his sin into faith? What is it that moves one to repent? What is it that moves one to believe? It is the word of grace. That's why we call. We speak a word of grace. We announce the gospel. We announce the kingdom. And this is what moves the hearts of sinners to repent and believe. What is more, we see to it that there is no limitation on this work. 33, 34, he says, I set an example for you, living without covetousness, that I wanted no reward for my work. Nobody paid me. Nobody made me rich or powerful from this. I sought no well-being from it. No, brothers, our reward is that we delight to do the work. And we look not to reward or payment. That we provide for our own necessities that there would be enough to give to others. Brothers, we cannot give away what we do not possess. Have we filled ourselves up with such incredible grace that there is grace to give to others? Have we drank deep of the love of God that it is love that spills from us? That we would labor, as he says in verse 35, to support the weak. Brothers, let us find the reward of supporting others enough. Oh, to give away the gospel, that's enough. To preach, that's enough. To announce the gospel in the kingdom, just to do it is such a joy. It's often been in my mind. Do you remember when Eric Little ran? And in the movie Chariots of Fire, he said, When I run, I feel his pleasure. Brothers, when you shepherd, do you feel his pleasure? When you preach, do you say, I was made for this. I was born for this. And I cannot do anything else. Indeed, Jesus himself, Paul says, taught us it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is Paul's final word on the matter. Brothers, here's your reward. You're happier when you give than when you get. Man, I, I like First Peter where he says the elders that do a good job get a big crown. Why can't Paul do that one? That's what Peter said. No, here comes Paul. And he sets our hearts of pride in the right place. Ah, oh, do you love to give? Do you love to give a call to repentance and faith? Do you love to announce the gospel in the kingdom? Do you love to warn and to counsel others about their danger without Christ? Do you love this work? Ah, oh, because it's so good.
It's a good work. It's a work worth living for. It's a work worth dying for. It's a good work. And my dear saints, brothers, sisters, do you receive our work? Do you submit yourselves to our service and receive from us this love of Christ, this word of grace? Do you hear the call to repent and believe? Do you repent and believe? Do you hear the announcement of gospel and of kingdom? Do you hear us publish? Jesus is full of grace and mercy. Come to him. He's full of power to rule over you. Submit to him. Do you indeed receive from us these warnings and this counsel? Flee from danger. Come to Christ. This is what the elders are trying to do. This is our mission. This is what Christ would have us do. Paul has given Jesus the last word, as we should. It is more blessed to give than to receive. With that ringing in their ears and stirring in their hearts, they go down to the beach there by the quay. They kneel in the sand. Kneeling to pray is an uncommon posture for these early Christians. More often than not, they would pray standing up with hands up high, as Paul commanded in 1 Timothy 2. Faces upturned, eyes open, because when you talk to somebody, you make eye contact. And when you talk to God, you make eye contact. But not this time. This time, overwhelmed as it were by the weight of grief, they fall down into the sand of the beach and pray. They weep freely, literally abundantly, considerably, even worthily. It is a fitting weeping. It is a sufficient amount of tears for the intense amount of sorrow. They fall on his neck, a Hebrew idiom. They kiss him. There is so much sorrow as they grasp together that they will see him no more. And then in Luke's classic, understated style, they accompany him to the ship. You see, like grandparents shooing their children out of the house for a date night, the elders say to Paul, be off, we've got this. The elders embrace the charge and say, yes, here is our work. We will do this. The apostle is gone. He will not come again. The office of apostle is gone. It will not come again. But Christ has given you elders who carry forward this work of calling you to repentance and faith, of announcing to you the good news of Jesus Christ and the power of his kingdom, of warning you of wolves and twisted teachers, of indeed blessing you with support and encouragement. Brothers, Jesus loved you enough to die for you. Will we not love these sheep enough to die for them? He's called us to nothing less. Then we should lay down our lives for these sheep. Dear saints, Jesus has loved you enough to die for you. He will not leave you alone. 
You are not orphans in this world. He has given you elders that we might make known to you the love of God in Christ. That we might preach and promote not ourselves nor our office, but our Christ. He has given you elders, not because we're awesome, but because he loves you. Will you not receive our care? Receive from us this care. Dear saints, Jesus loves you. You're his blood-bought church. And so he's given you elders. Receive our care. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day you've made. We thank you for a day in which so much grace is ours in Christ. A day in which we may rest in you and receive your mercy and peace. We thank you, O God, that the call to leave off sin and to walk in the ways of Christ, that the announcement of the grace available in Christ, the proclamation of the power of his kingdom, the whole counsel of your will for our salvation, these things are so great that you dedicated an entire office to it. That you would raise up men full of the spirit and of faith to do this one thing, to offer Christ the word of grace, to point others to Jesus, and to lead their souls into the safety of his love. Father, thank you for giving us such men. Father, forgive us that we are not such men. Father, give us grace that we would become more and more such men. And Father, have mercy on these people, that we would shepherd well this flock as you have commanded us. And indeed, bless these people, that as the flock of your pasture, they would know the great and rich provision of your grace and be entirely well satisfied with their Savior. For these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.